evening, Raleigh. It is Tuesday, October 16th, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake. And I'm Jake Langwan. We thank you for tuning in. Tonight, our contributor, Jay, brings us some thoughts on some, of some student Democrats and Republicans as to some of the most important issues facing our nation. And Lucia Moser has for some of us the latest happenings from the art world around Raleigh. In addition, DeAndre spoke to a representative of one of the largest anti-drug organizations in the world. And Gene Zernov is back with something new from the science world we'll bet you didn't know. But before all of that, here's Jasmine Shepard with our local forecast. Jasmine? Thanks, Jake, and good evening, Wolfpack. Tonight it's looking like a few showers may be on the way with a 10% chance of rain and partly cloudy skies. It seems as though we might be getting down to 47 degrees tonight, so make sure you have your jackets ready. Tomorrow there's an expected high of 70 degrees and the low will be 50. Look out for partly cloudy skies with a 10% chance of rain throughout the day. Thursday, make sure you have those umbrellas ready with a 30% chance of rain and scattered thunderstorms. The high will be around 76 degrees and the low will be 54. Friday, it's looking like the same thing with a 40% chance of rain and scattered thunderstorms. The high will be 72 and the low will be 49. But Saturday, things might be looking up for us with a high of 68 and a low of 46. You can expect mostly sunny skies and a slight chance of rain at 10%. Finally, we will have a wonderful day on Sunday to end the weekend with a wonderful high of 70 degrees and a low of 49. No chances of rain on Sunday, so get excited for that along with sunny skies. And I believe that's all for the weather and have a great week. Thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew. Thanks, DeAndre. Former Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadzic denied committing war crimes today and called himself a tolerant man who sought peace in Bosnia. Karadzic was arrested in 2008 after 13 years on the run and faces 10 charges of genocide and crimes, excuse me, crimes against humanity. This week, a distant planet was discovered orbiting two stars and another with another two stars also revolving around the planet itself. And the third presidential debate is tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The debate will be town hall style, with questions for Obama and Romney being taken directly from the audience. It will be moderated by Candy Crowley of CNN. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. Now, last week, our contributor Jay Tomlin interviewed a representative of the Young Americans for Liberty, a libertarian group here at NC State. But what you didn't know was that Jay also interviewed some college Democrats and some Republicans. Here to shed some light on the perspective of the two main parties is Taylor McLam of the College Republicans and Rashad Hamilton of the College Democrats. The Republican and Democrat platforms continue to change over time and citizens' disapproval of government officials grows. Should citizens keep voting for the Republican or Democrat? Or should they try to find a way to vote on candidates based on principles, even if he or she is unpopular with the party's mainstream platforms. I think it's very true that, um, especially as college students, you know, people are like, am I going to go for the mainstream two political parties or am I going to lean towards more of a party that's just based on my principles? I think that one thing to really think about, um, especially this coming election, is the candidates. Um, not so much about party alignment, what the parties stand for. I think that it's huge, especially for this election, to be thinking about what the policies are for both candidates, what they, what they intend on doing in the upcoming years in office. Every presidential administration in the history of this country has had a budget deficit passed by Congress. In the last 10 years, this has occurred at an increasing rate, and the federal debt has currently reached $16 trillion. As the national debt 
one of the top issues that needs to be addressed by Congress and President? And if it is, how should the national debt be addressed? The debt is a huge crisis that um, our government, our nation is facing today. Every, over the past decade, our government spending has increased dramatically. We owe trillions and trillions of dollars. And this is what we're passing on to our future generations, to our children. What we as college students are going to be held accountable for, it's huge. It absolutely needs to be addressed. Over the past four years under Obama's administration, government spending has been absolutely out of control the government is increasing its size. It's increasing its regulations. Um, small businesses are being hurt. People are being hurt. Middle class is being hurt. It's, it's just such a huge problem. And it doesn't even begin with Obama. It's, it, you know, it's happened with presidents in the past. So I think that, um, yes, it's a huge problem. It needs to be addressed by cutting government spending. It needs to be addressed by not enforcing these regulations on businesses because this is what's hurting our economy today so yes it needs to be addressed and i think that the romney administration and his plan is going to be the best as far as addressing this debt crisis what do you think is an issue facing our nation that needs to be addressed i think that one of the most important issues that is especially critically facing it's facing the nation it's facing college students especially it's the economy it's the job market it's am i going to get a job when i graduate what kind of you know my student loans what how much money am i going to have to pay in order to get out of debt when i graduate and that's going to be solved by getting a job right now half of college students when they are graduating they are either not finding a job they are moving back home with their parents or they're forced to take a job that is forcing them to be underemployed. In other words, they're taking a job where they feel that they are overqualified to have the job, that they it's either not their major, it's not what they wanted to do when they graduate. Um, I think for me personally, and especially for all the college students out there, all the young people, um, it's the economy, it's the job market, it's on everybody's mind, it's you know, especially seniors this year, it's constantly something in the back of people's heads. And I think that one question that everybody can ask themselves is, are we better off than we were four years ago? Or are we, you know, what direction are we going in? We are obviously not going in the right direction. Over the past four years under Obama's administration, we have been going in the wrong direction. We are not better off than we were four years ago. We have not even improved. We, um, in fact, it's gotten even worse than it was before. So I think that especially in the next coming years, one thing to really think about between these next two candidates is not even going to be about social issues. I don't believe that people in America are, are extremely concerned with social issues. It's about the fiscal issues. It's about whether or not they're going to be in debt, whether or not they're going to have a job. How are we going to get out of this economic crisis? In a recent video for Mother Jones com of Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, he claimed he cannot gain support from 47% of the country that is not paying federal income tax. Two days later, a video of President Obama from 1998 had him claiming a belief of redistribution of wealth. What are your thoughts and reactions to both videos? 
I'll go ahead and start with the Mitt Romney video that was from MotherJones.com. I will go to say that this is something that happens on both sides of the political spectrum. Whether you are a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're congressman, it doesn't matter if, if you're unaffiliated. It happens on both sides. This was a fundraising event and Romney was specifically talking to his fundraisers who were at the event. He was speaking to them in terms that any politician would speak to people that were at his event or at his rally or at his whatever he may be at. A politician, it's almost in the job description. A politician is going to talk to his voters. He's going to talk to his audience in order to appeal to them. Obama has done this several times himself. And I think if you ask me, I'm going to make an honest statement that Romney was stating facts. He was simply stating facts at this event. He was, um, when he was talking about the 47% of the country that is not paying federal income, there are statistics that show when we're accounting for the income, when we're accounting for people who pay taxes, that they're not even accounting for, for the illegal immigrants that are here in the country. Um, it's way more than we think that it is. More and more people are becoming, they're relying on the government to pay for their expenses every single week, every single day of the year. It's extremely important and it's also another issue that needs to be addressed in the next coming years. We we cannot afford, we absolutely can't afford to constantly have people who are on welfare, who are who have food stamps, which by the way, food stamps has gone up increasingly over the past four years under Obama. We can't afford to have these people, especially when so many of them are not even trying to either find a job or trying to make the best of their situation themselves. And to comment on the next video for um, Obama in 1998 claiming the belief of the redistribution of wealth, I, I have to say that if you look at over the past four years of Obama's policies, over his beliefs with taxes and that the, you know, the wealthy should um, have to pay extreme amounts in order to get people back on their feet, Obama has... He's been called a socialist from all sides, and I'm not going to call Obama a socialist, but I believe that he has tendencies that just scream socialism, the redistribution of wealth. I just, to me, it's not a part of my American values, and I don't think that it's a part of the average American's values. I think that everybody, you know, we work hard. Everybody works hard for what they get. They, if they're successful, then they've worked hard. Obama even making the comment that you didn't build that. That's an even more, that's another example of his policies and how he thinks that government accounts for the success of people. And I just think that um, here in America, we're extremely privileged to say that I worked hard. I build that. I was successful. I worked my way up. And I think I should have, I, sh I want to be able to keep as much of my money as possible if I become wealthy one day. How can someone contact NC State College Republicans, your organization, if they are interested? And what events do you have coming up? There are multiple ways. If you want to get in touch with any of us about getting involved, um, you can either email us at ncsucollegerepublicans at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Um, it's just NCSU College Republicans. 
Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. Basically, some of the main things that we have going on right now, and this is something that can be accounted for on both sides of the political spectrum. Early voting is starting this Thursday. It's really important to get out there and vote. So I guess for me to just talk to everybody on the political spectrum, I would just say get out and vote and become informed. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the Republican campaigns on a local or national level, Thursday night at 5.30 to 8.30 p.m., we have a phone banking night at the GOP, which is just located off of Hillsborough Street and we go out there we have pizza there's it's a good atmosphere there's music lots of people come out it's a good way to meet fellow conservatives or Republicans or folks who are even Democrats or independents who are supporting Romney um, we make phone calls for Romney we survey potential voters we also have on Saturdays opportunities for people to go door to door to survey people and to get out the vote these are our two main opportunities and as I've mentioned you can get in touch with us by emailing us at ncsucollegerepublicans at gmail.com or finding us on Facebook at NCSU College Republicans. That was uh, Republican Representative Taylor McLam, and now we have Rashad Hamilton of the College Democrats. The Republican and Democrat platforms continue to change over time, and citizens' disapproval of government officials grows. Should citizens keep voting for the Republican or Democrat, or try to find a way to vote on candidates based on principles even if he or she is unpopular with the party's mainstream platforms? I think uh, the question you asked is very important, and um, things change in all of life, but especially in politics. But Barack Obama has remained consistent over his four years as president. He has stood firm on his beliefs and his values, and what he sees is the, the best direction for America. I cannot say the same for Mitt Romney, who toes the line and constantly flip-flops on just about every major issue. I don't know if there's ever been a, a presidential candidate in history whose campaign advisors have came out at their every statement and claimed that the um, candidate did not know what he's talking about or did not mean what he said. That's unacceptable. And how are we supposed to put somebody in office who doesn't even know what he stands for himself? Who, by the way, only seems interested in governing 40 or 50 percent of America and not 100 percent of America. That is a dangerous game to play with all of America. The history of America has shown that there is pretty much two general directions to take this country. While there are third party candidates, the likelihood that they will get elected is slim. So I would say by all means, vote on vote on principles. But keep in mind that if you're serious about changing the direction of America, if you're serious about your goals and your views being represented in the government through legislation, there's only two parties, and this is a two-party race, Democrat and Republican. And while some things may change, the majority of the party platform usually stays the same. 
If you're for a government that will stay consistent, a president who stay consistent, who believes that the government's goal is to give everybody a fair shake and a chance to retrieve the American dream, then the Democratic Party has stayed rather consistent. Every presidential administration in the history of this country set a budget deficit passed by Congress. In the last 10 years, this has occurred at an increasing rate, and the federal debt has currently reached $16 trillion. Is the national debt one of the top issues that need to be addressed by Congress and President? And if it is, how should the national debt be addressed? The national debt is definitely a major issue that faces this country. And the fact is that we had two major wars that were unpaid for in the last administration and reaching into this administration. These wars are coming to an end. By 2014, the war in Afghanistan will be over. That's money that does not have to be dedicated to war. So that's going to come off. And the next thing is all we're asking is for the top earners in America to pay their fair share. And it's going to be a little bit more. By simply letting the Bush era tax cuts expire, we will get more revenue and that will lead lead to the reduction in the deficit. And if Congress tries to work hand in hand with President Barack Obama, instead of making sure he's a one term president, I'm sure Congress and the president can come up with a deficit reduction plan that will meet the needs of America. In a recent video from MotherJones.com of Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, he claimed he cannot gain support from 47 percent of the country as not paying federal income tax. Two days later, a video of President Obama from 1998 I'm claiming a belief of redistribution of wealth. What are your thoughts and reactions to both videos? My reaction for the, to the Romney video is a bit mild. I realize that sometimes things don't come out the way they were meant to come out, and Romney made a huge gaffe on his part, and I don't think he's a bad person at heart. I don't think he meant that half of the country is lazy and unwilling to take responsibility. But I do not think that he has the best interests of the middle class and the lower class at heart, while President Barack Obama does. To the second video, the Barack Obama video, that was from 1998. That's a significant time lapse between Barack Obama in 1998 and the, our president. It is obvious that President Obama was somewhat of a social progressive during the 1998 video. And I, on some matters, I think he still is. I don't believe President Barack Obama believes in some kind of Robin Hood philosophy where he's, he's still from the rich or the wealthy. But I will say that the redistribution of wealth philosophy, I personally believe in just a little bit. I don't want to take money from the top and give it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. But there's a certain level of responsibility for those at the top to give enough back. What I simply believe is that he wants to give every American a, a shot, every American a chance. And when the top earners in America hoard their money and hide it overseas in some island bank, that's not fair. Because half of America, the 47%, cannot hide their money. They cannot find loopholes. I think right now, Barack Obama simply wants to remove the the extra stuff, the loopholes that allow for the top earners to escape their responsibilities. How can someone contact the NC State College Democrats if they're interested? And what events do you have coming up? If somebody wanted to contact the NC State chapter of College Dems, they could go visit our OrgSync page for College Dems of NC State. We also have a nonprofit event on Tuesday night at Boston 2722 at 9 p.m. It's our debate watch party for the presidential debate on Tuesday. We're going to take a quick break, guys, but stick around. We've got more on the way. And welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. 
This week, Andrew prof- profiles the last of the third-party candidates running for president. Think of them as fringe candidates. For the past weeks, Eye on the Triangle has discussed the major third parties, their candidates, their platforms, and whether supporting one is really throwing your vote away. First, we explored the candidacy of Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party's growing popularity. Next, we discussed Jill Stein and the Green Party's past history of influencing national elections. Today, we'll finish by examining three more third-party candidates. Whereas Stein and Johnson are each hoping to receive 5% of the vote, that will earn their party's federal funding for the next election, these candidates know they have nothing to gain from running other than having their voices heard. First on the list is Virgil Good. Good is a former six-term congressman from Virginia who has in the past run as a Democrat, an Independent, and a Republican. Now he is running for president as the candidate of the Constitution Party, a conservative group formerly known as the U.S. Taxpayers Party. The party's economic platform is similar to that of the Libertarian Party, promoting extreme fiscal conservatism, but their social platform most resembles that of the 19th century know-nothing movement. The Constitution Party calls for stricter punishments for illegal immigration and a halt to all legal immigration until the system can be dramatically reorganized. The Constitution Party has supporters among the Christian right, but not many places else. Virgil Good will be on the ballot in 26 states and has write-in status in 16, including North Carolina. Next, Rocky Anderson. Anderson is the former two-term Democratic mayor of Salt Lake City. As mayor, he worked for gay rights, immigration reform, and ends the war on drugs and made Salt Lake City compliant with the Kyoto Protocol. After announcing his disappointment with the actions of the Democratic Party in 2011, Anderson decided to run for president as the candidate of the newly formed Justice Party. The party's platform supports a single-payer health care system, a tax on financial transactions, a ban to mountaintop removal and the stopping of the expansion of the Keystone Pipeline, and an end to corporate personhood. Anderson is on the ballot in 16 states and has write-in status in 20. Votes for Anderson will not be counted in North Carolina. This brings us to the discussion of our final candidate, Vermin Supreme. Vermin Supreme has been a candidate in various elections since 1988, when he ran for the office of mayor of Baltimore, Detroit, and Mercury, Nevada. In 2000, he declared himself emperor of the new millennium. Mr. Supreme, middle name Love, wears a boot on his head. In 2011, he sought the Democratic Party's nomination for president, receiving 1.4% of the vote at the Iowa Democratic Caucus and ran on the platform of mandatory toothbrushing laws and government-issued identification, where the ID is not a plastic card, but a free pony. Now Vermin is the candidate of his own free pony party and is running with Jimmy McMillan, who in turn claims that he is the candidate of the Rent is Too Damn High party and that Vermin Supreme is his running mate. This concludes Eye on the Triangle's coverage of the third-party candidates in the 2012 presidential election. We hope that we have shown that there are more choices available than you might think, but most of all, that every vote counts. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. My name is Vermin, my name is Vermin, Vermin Supreme. My name is Vermin, my name is Vermin, my name is Vermin, Vermin, Vermin Supreme. And you can vote, and you can vote, and you can vote for me for president if you want to. And, uh, and my name is Vermin. And, uh, Interesting note, I had a chance to meet Mr. Supreme uh, in Charlotte. He's quite a character. 
So, last week, DeAndre Jones spoke with a member of the anti-drug group Narcocon, Narcanon, excuse me, an international organization that operates in over 40 countries, educating people about the dangers of drugs. Drugs are real and are prevalent almost everywhere. Unfortunately, that does include right here in Raleigh and even in NC State. For this next segment, I urge any of those listening that might be struggling with a drug problem to perhaps rethink their actions and seek help. For those who are listening that don't have this problem, listen and educate yourselves. You never know, you could end up saving guess someone's you life. Don't need it. I guess you don't want me to repeat it. But everything I have to give, I'll give to you. Hey guys, it's DeAndre. I'm on the phone with, well, I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Uh, could you please state your name and title, sir? Yeah, hi, DeAndre. This is Perry Abishan. I'm assistant to the executive director at Narconon. Okay, and uh, what exactly is Narconon to start off with? Narconon is an international organization with 150 centers in the world, uh, over 40 different countries. We have 18 centers in the U.S., and we are a provider of effective drug education and treatment. How long have you guys been an organization? Well, Narc and I started in 1966. A guy named William Benitez started it in the Arizona State Prison. And originally, it was designed to help get... There was a lot of heroin addicts in that jail. And actually, what they found out was with one of the tools and one of the, you know, effective text that we used at Narconon, they were actually able to get heroin addicts off of heroin. Uh, so with just a number of hours of continually doing the same thing. So after that, uh, you know, it's been growing. And like I said, it continued to grow to 150 centers in over 40 countries throughout the world. Yeah, that's very cool. So I understand that you guys are tackling drug problems all around the world. What are some specific drug problems that are in North Carolina and more specifically the Raleigh area? Well, right now, you know, in Raleigh, there is a big problem with prescription drugs, mainly the painkillers like Percocet, Hydrocodone, Roxycodone. People might know them as Oxycontin or Roxycontin, things like that. There's also, you know, a number of names, Lortabs. And they're actually the most widespread throughout the U.S. also. Uh, so this is just a growing problem. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely something to, to be noticed and to pay attention to. Crack, heroin, and meth have also reached new heights in popularity. Uh, pretty much anything they have amounted to has, of course, been horrible. And the number of deaths from prescription drugs alone supersedes all of the combined deaths from all other drugs total. So what we're looking at is 15,000 deaths a year throughout the United States from prescription drugs alone. Uh, we're also finding out that a one in nine students in 2010 was actually using prescription drugs. Um, in, in other words, in a way other than the way prescribed. So definitely a, a big problem, and it's, uh, it is the largest one that's affecting the area right now. Uh, do you have any idea of, about how exactly these drugs negatively affect the body? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, what what we like to uh, compare as far as the addiction itself, it's so strong. I mean, if you've ever known anybody that tried to quit cigarettes, 
you know, the prescription drug addiction is a physical one similar to that. So it's, it's very hard for an addict once they're, you know, using to be able to resist to seek, you know, more of the drug. So um, that's, that's one of the ways that it affects the body as far as the addiction goes. And then, of course, there is thought patterns and things that are changed and there, there's actually a nerve that goes around from the front front lobe to the rear of the brain, okay? And these are like very large nerves that allow somebody to take in information and put it to the thought process, you know, the area that actually, can, you know, takes it in and considers what to do with that information, okay, in the back of our brain. And... Those nerves actually, you know, allow for somebody to use logical thought and say, well, you know, this might not be something that I want to keep doing. But what happens over time is no matter what drug a person's doing, these nerves actually begin to deteriorate. And so what happens is sometimes if you have somebody that's been on drugs for a a long period of time, what's going to happen is they're not going to have any connection to a logical thought whenever they start thinking about drugs. So, you know, it kind of gives them um, just a one answer, just, you know, do drugs, but uh, unfortunately. So, you know, that's the effects that it has on the brain. So that actually could take over somebody completely. Uh, The mind, as far as that goes, that's one of the things that it does. And, of course, it's going to uh, allow the immune system to break down more easily and things like that because... There's basically a substance that's not required and too much of it. So it's going to change your, your brain's ability to identify what problems are and things like that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of effects. Um, pretty much what we do is we have a website called drugsknow.com, and we have many pamphlets that we'll send out for free. So all somebody has to do is go on there and just click, you know, which pamphlets they want and how many they want and we'll be glad to send them out for free so that is a good place to go for any kind of information about how those drugs are affecting somebody's mind and their body how can you tell if someone is on drugs there are different signs for different drugs but there's a couple that remain true throughout all drugs Um, what we've noticed is uh, you know anytime somebody's having financial difficulties you know, on a regular basis, is always needing to borrow money or can't pay money back, is going behind on their bills, things like that. Time uh, somebody's losing an item or, you know, just constantly needing to pay for something that's, that's not normal, you know, just whether they might make up stories to get money and things like that. No, that's pretty much very common with any drug. And uh, 10 and $20 amounts at a time, you know, is enough to get a fix. If it always ends up being 10 or $20 that they need or something, that's a good sign to find out that they might be, well, yeah, you know, easily, you know, heroin is cheaper, so some people end up going to that. So, you know, like I said, 10 or $20 amounts, um, that's a, a big one. And then as far as those same type of drugs, specifically, I'm going to say if somebody is constantly appearing sleepy, okay, that, that's a sign of either heroin or painkillers or opiates. And then also if they, uh, you know, tend to lay around in bed and then they'll have symptoms of a cold, 
you know, often they'll be sniffling and uh, coughing and things like that. Those kind of symptoms are whenever somebody is actually having withdrawal symptoms from the drugs. So it's a situation where you're going to be looking for those kind of signs also uh, because, of course, if somebody's using, they're going to have withdrawals because as soon as they come down, uh, shortly thereafter, they start to go into withdrawal. So, um, you know, from the painkillers and the opiate. Any other signs, I guess, somebody's not taking care of themselves, their hygiene's going down, strange friends that, uh, you know, are constantly trying to hide things, uh, just things like that. If, if the stories aren't adding up, uh, it's a, a, good, a good reason to look into it. Don't be afraid to check your friend and, you know, ask them questions and things. Somebody wants help, they just can't stop uh, because their mind and their body tells them that they want more drugs. So they're going to protect their habit and their drugs. So, you know, but if somebody really cares, you're going to eventually catch somebody at a vulnerable point, and they're going to realize that they do want help. So, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, calmly ask somebody if something's okay and uh, are they sure everything's okay. Say you figure out that someone is abusing some sort of substance or you even suspect that, what should you do? What I'll do is I'll describe how to go about having a family intervention and what to do from there, DeAndre, okay? Right. Uh, and also, let me just give you, this is a good time for me to also give out our toll-free number because, of course, if anybody ever needs help with something like this, please call our number. We'll be glad to help you. And then, you know, if, if there's a certain uh, place that's more fitting, uh, we're always going to make sure that somebody gets the right kind of help that they need, Okay. So that number is 877-413-3073, and our website is drugsno.com, D-R-U-G-S-N-O.com. And again, also to find out more information, you can find that and get free pamphlets from drugsno.com. And now, like I said, back to the family intervention. What you want to do is you want to gather siblings and family members that, of course, are closest to this individual. Uh, sometimes it might even be a friend, uh, maybe a friend from childhood that uh, maybe had a better road, um, things like that. And just everybody gather and invite them over for dinner. Um, you know, they don't have to definitely know why they're being invited over. But at the same time, that goes to say that a definite a large amount of comfort and compassion and consideration should be used to what I like to call a soft intervention because somebody is willing to go get help after this kind of intervention, it sure, you know, sure makes it easier. So we want them to get the help, so we don't want them to get uh, defensive and give up at this point. So that's why it's so important to have the right attitude and the right mood set, you know, where they're comfortable with everybody in the room. Okay, so just state the fact that, every, you know, we're all aware that you're having a problem and then, of course, let them know that everybody's, you know, prepared to uh, help them in any way possible. And, you know, and at this point, you should probably already have a good idea of where you want to get them into. Because if you don't, and then you've got them willing, you know, sometimes uh, it's a time-sensitive thing. Get them in that time, you can get them to start packing and get them on their way to the, the proper kind of treatment that they need. Well, Perry, I'd like to... Thank you for uh, sitting down to talk with me over the phone today. Before we head out, is there any uh, last thoughts that you want to give out? You know, it's a good thing that you said that because, 
we're, you know, everybody is uh, probably a large percentage, I guess, of the people listening are in school and in college at NC State. You know, what, what a great school and a great opportunity. Everyone has a few minutes to talk to somebody that they know has more potential than that. Um, you know, don't be afraid to let somebody know that you're willing to help them. There's meetings, there's support groups. You know, whatever kind of help somebody can get, there's church. You know, everything helps. So, you know, I just want to say that if, if you know somebody that needs some help, don't be afraid to contact their family and get involved because the main reason that people stay on drugs is because they don't actually get the help that they need. So that's that's all I wanted to say, but uh, I really appreciate you having me in this interview today, DeAndre, and uh, an opportunity to let people know that they can get help and, you know, we're, of course, more than willing to help them. Uh, give Narcanon a call at 877-413-3073 or contact us on the website. Uh, some specific drug uh, that you think somebody's using. We've probably got that pamphlet available for free. We send it out. There's no catches. You just click on there that you want it sent to this address and the amount of them that you want. Drugsno.com. That's it. And thank you, Perry. That's about all we got. So, for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Again, that number was one eight seven seven four one three three zero seven three, and the website was drugsno.com. So if you know someone that is struggling with uh, drug addiction, get them help. It is a serious issue. Yeah, please don't hesitate, guys. But uh, moving on, Lovely Lucia is back giving the latest in the arts from around the triangle. Good evening. You are tuned in to Eye on the Arts, a weekly segment that highlights the creative activity here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am Lovely Lucia, and I am joined by Beth Yerksa, Executive Director of the Triangle Artworks. Thank you for joining us this evening. Glad to be here. Would you like to tell us what Triangle Artworks is? Triangle Artworks uh, is an organization that we began about three years ago. And we are an arts organization, but we are also actually really more of an economic development organization. Our mission is to support, promote, and advocate for the arts and design community and the Triangle as a business community. This is really a, a new animal for the Triangle region, although there are organizations like us around the country. It is a more business-centric way of looking at the arts. We are supporting uh, and promoting and connecting the arts community as a business community. Um, that is, we are helping to centralize access to resources. We're helping them connect with each other and so they can collaborate better and they can uh, hopefully um, centralize some of the some of the work that some of the organizations are doing. Um, we will help in promoting the arts community as a whole, and we'll help to advocate for the, the arts community as a whole. There are other organizations in the Triangle that are already doing some of this work, uh, such as the local arts councils like the Raleigh Arts Commission or the Visual Art Exchange, and we will be partnering with these organizations to make sure that the arts community as a whole knows what they're doing 
and can find it more easily. And then we will be working with the organizations in the community to determine where there are gaps in resources, and we will work to bring people together to fill some of those gaps. By bringing the community together as a business community, one important thing that we're doing, in addition to uh, providing resources and support like a business community, we're also sort of creating a business community. Right now, a lot of the the artists and the, ver- and the various arts organizations are really working on their own and working very hard with very little money and, and producing some really great work. But they really are out there on their own, and this is you know it's a tough situation because the arts community is important not only because of the economic impact that the arts community has from the people they employ, it's also important because it makes our region a really great place to live and to work and for other companies to locate. So the arts community is very important in our region, so it is very important that they get the business support they need to be financially successful. But it's also important that this business community get the respect they need in the broader community as a business community. Historically, a lot of people have considered the arts community to be sort of to be extra and to be, you know, dessert rather than meat and potatoes of a meal, as they, people like to say. We hope that by bringing this community together as a business community, creating a entity that other segments of the business community can deal with on the same level, that we will be able to get them the respect, one, the respect to deserve, and also to get them a seat at the table in regional economic economic development and other business um, discussions. In fact, we are already being somewhat successful in this in that uh, we are, um, Triangle Artworks is uh, representing the arts, Triangle Arts community at a uh, regional economic development visioning process called NC Tomorrow. And this is the first time that the arts have actually been at the table in any long-term economic development visioning discussions. And so this is very exciting for us. We believe that by bringing this community together as a business community, they will, they will be able to thrive and they will be more financially successful and therefore the whole triangle will be a better place to live more. This sounds like a big goal. How do you start and what are you working on now? It is a big goal. We've had to develop a strategic plan and we are following that. And our, our first thing we did was we um, built a website like everybody does and we have loaded it with information about the arts community in the triangle, all of the galleries and theater groups and music groups and everything that you need to know to get involved in one of those groups. Um, And we've also loaded resources on the site for the arts community, information about uh, business information, legal information, news about new opportunities and resources in the triangle um, as they're made available. Um, We've basically created a site that is a sort of centralized resource for the arts community and the community as a whole about what's going on in the arts community. We also have developed a very um, rich, I guess as you say, a social media program where we, through Twitter and Facebook and email um, and very soon through a newsletter, we are pushing out information about for the arts community as, as a business community on job openings, calls for artists, auditions, networking opportunities, educational workshop opportunities, um, anything they need to know for their businesses to be successful and to come together with other art community members um, and to learn and to network and to collaborate. In addition, we are have started a group called Triangle Emerging Arts Leaders or TEAL. It is a a part of a national program, actually, through the Americans for the Arts. And we are a local, I, I guess, a regional uh, division of the Emerging Arts Leaders Network. 
Um, this is the under 35 or new to arts administration crowd that comes together once a month for lunch and networking and um, talk and fun. They have, like I said, once a month lunch, and they're having other programs um, where they can come together and talk and learn from each other. And that has been a very successful program. In addition to the website um, and a teal, we um, are also, right now, in fact, um, it rolled out last week, we are building the platform and network for all the future work we're going to be doing. This is creating a, a network of partner organizations and businesses who will work with us to help us to set priorities, to keep us informed so we can keep the community as a whole informed, and to help us develop and to promote our programs. And we are signing on partners now across the triangle. Our partners are everything from economic development organizations to arts businesses to individual artists to designers. Um, and all these people will work with us sort of as a central clearinghouse to create this network for this community. And finally, we also have announced uh, the development of our advisory board, which is made up pretty much all of the arts, arts commission leaders from all the towns and counties in the Triangle and economic development, downtown development directors who we feel are our partners in the work we're doing. Well, that is great news to hear. What are Triangle Artworks plans for the future? Immediate future, we program we've been working on for the last year um, under our under our strategic plan uh, work groups. Our creative support work group identified uh, a need for additional space or venue space for arts events and arts installations in the Triangle. And one way we saw to do this was make it easier for people to do pop up events, which are I mean, pop ups are temporary installations or temporary programming. Um, done in not, uh, unconventional spaces, like a short-term gallery in an empty storefront or a, a play in, a, in an active commercial business um, that is just shown a couple nights. And these sort of pop-up events are really great for the artist or arts organization because they have a space to perform or to sell. Um, and they're also great for the commercial property because they get people into the space to see to see the space and to potentially market that space. And we wanted to make these easier to do, so we we worked with UNC Law School and have created a toolkit for pop-ups, which will contain a handbook for both the artists and the the property owners with a step-by-step process for doing pop-ups. And it also the toolkit will also contain an, a, a checklist for creating agreement between the two parties. And we have talked to people all over the Triangle who have done pop-ups before and property owners and artists, and they've told us all the types of things that can come up in, in doing pop-ups. And so we've created a list of things to, a checklist of things to look at before they enter into agreement. And we've been working with the downtown development directors and arts organizations to create this and we'll be working with them to roll it out and to put it into use and, and everyone's very excited about it. In addition, um, look once the pop-up program is done, our goal for next year uh, is to begin working on education, that is pulling together all the people in the triangle who are providing business education for the arts community and try to look at ways that we can we can do this business education in a more systematic manner so that we're getting a better result for hopefully less money and less work and centralizing some of the information so that arts businesses in the triangle can find the education they need easier and cheaper that's our plan for that at least for next year well it looks like you got a busy year ahead of you what are some ways that people can get involved with triangle artwork uh, well, there's a number of ways you can be involved. If you believe in our mission, um, we would certainly like to um, help keep us informed about job openings or networking events or any educational events you know about. I know there's lots of them going on here at the Interstate Campus, and there's 
there's you know the art to wear and there's galleries and and we'd love to be kept informed about what's going on here we already have some some contacts to do that but we we need all the information we can get if you believe in our mission as i said we would love to have you help us out we need all the volunteers we can get at this point because we are a uh, a new nonprofit, so we are use volunteers quite a bit um in our work so let us know if you want to help out just go on the website and shoot us an email um, and finally, of course, you know, we are a nonprofit, a 501c nonprofit, so we need donations. For, so feel free to go on the website and click that donate button. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. For more information about Triangle Artworks, visit triangleartworks.org. Tune in next week for another segment of On the Arts, where I talk with Cam Now Professional about Fright Night at the Museum. And now, here's Gene documenting for some of the craziest wonders out there in the scientific community. Making a girl. making a girl. Hey guys, I'm back this week with some more weird science facts. The English language idiom, it's raining cats and dogs, usually refers to a heavy downpour. Even though this is usually a figure of speech, raining animals are a scientific phenomenon in which flightless animals rain from the sky. Fish and frogs are the most likely animals to fall from the sky. And the most recent rain of frogs occurred in 2005 in the country of Serbia, with the next reported incident in London in 1998. In 2006, it rained fish in India, while whales related to this weather report in 2004. There has been no verified scientific explanation for this phenomenon, but several witnesses of raining frogs describe the animals as startled, though healthy, and exhibiting relatively normal behavior shortly after the event. This shows that the animals are dropped shortly after extraction. In some incidents, however, the animals are frozen to death or even completely enclosed in blocks of ice. These occurrences may be evidence for the transport of the victims to high altitudes, where the temperature is below zero, and they show how powerful meteorological forces can be. The Juvia de Pacis, rain of fishes, is a unique phenomenon that has been occurring annually for over a century in the country of Honduras. Witnesses of this phenomenon state that it begins with a dark cloud in the sky, followed by lightning, thunder, strong winds, and heavy rain for two to three hours. Once the rain has stopped, hundreds of living fish are found on the ground. People take the fish home to cook and eat them. Although some experts have tried to explain the rain of fishes as a natural meteorological phenomenon, the fish are not seawater fish, but small, living, seeing freshwater fish, and not a species which is found in the area. There is no valid scientific explanation for this phenomenon, but legend says that when Father Jose Manuel Subriana, a Catholic missionary considered by many to be a saint, visited Honduras, he was distraught at the amount of poor and starving people in the country. He prayed for three days and three nights to ask God for a miracle and provide food for the people. The rain of fishes has occurred ever since then. One thing is certain, and that is the fact that you can't choose your family. This holds true in most cases, particularly the one of mangoes and poison ivy. That's right. Both mangoes and poison ivy are found in the same subfamily, 
one of the taxonomic subgroups between family and genus, so they're practically cousins. Their shared family trait is the presence of the chemical urethral, the unpleasant oil that causes all of those itchy, burning, disgusting symptoms one gets after exposure to poison ivy. Fortunately, mangoes only have this chemical in their peels, leaves, sap, and stem. So, thank goodness, the fruit's delicious flesh is totally safe to eat. Are you wounded and don't have access to antibiotics? It's okay. Maggots will do the job. Long ago, some doctors noticed soldiers that had maggots on their wounds healed quicker than those without maggots. Maggots eat the dead skin cells and bacteria, in a way serving as a natural disinfectant. Maggot therapy, also known as maggot debridement therapy (MDT), larval therapy, larva therapy, or larvae therapy, is the intentional introduction of live disinfected maggots or fly larvae into non-healing skin or soft tissue wounds of a human or other animal. This practice was widely used before the discovery of antibiotics, as it serves to clean the dead tissue within a wound in order to promote healing. This really makes you take a step back and appreciate penicillin, doesn't it? Concluding this week's segment with the most shocking science headline: This past Sunday, a man named Felix Baumgartner broke the sound barrier by jumping 128,000 feet or 24 miles above the Earth. Baumgartner traveled approximately 700 miles an hour at his peak, faster than the speed of sound. The fearless diver was in freefall for four minutes and 19 seconds. Baumgartner survived the fall and now holds the record for the longest space skydive. Okay, guys, that's all I have this week. But tune in next week for some more weird science facts. This has been Jean Jurna for WKNC 88.1, The Revolution. And now let's see what's going on around the NC State campus. This is the community calendar, and here's what's happening around NC State for the week of October 16th. On Wednesday, October 17th, in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, a mobile device security session will be held in Scott Hall beginning at noon. Mac owners are encouraged to attend to learn how to more properly secure their mobile devices. On Thursday, October 18th, Paul Harvey of the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs will give a talk entitled "Suffering Saint: Jesus in the South" in the Religious Studies Colloquium series. It begins at 4:30 in 218 Daniels. In addition, a mobile device security session will be held in Scott Hall for BlackBerry owners to help keep their mobile devices more secure. This session begins at 12 p.m. And beginning at seven, the movie Ted will be playing in the Witherspoon Student Cinema. Admission is two dollars for students and three dollars for the general public. On Friday, October nineteenth, the third installment of the Cybersecurity Awareness Series will be held in Scott Hall, beginning at two p.m. Owners of iPhones, iPads, and iPods are encouraged to attend to learn how to better secure their mobile devices. In addition, the movie Ted will begin at seven p.m. in the Witherspoon Student Cinema. Following the film, the film Abraham Lincoln: Vampire Slayer will screen, beginning at nine thirty. And finally, for Android users, the Cybersecurity Awareness Series will be holding a seminar in Scott Hall beginning at 12 p.m. on Monday, October 22nd. I'm Jake Langlois, and this is what's been happening on your NC State campus.
Well, that's about that just about wraps up all we got for you guys this week. A big thanks to Jay Tomlin, Gene Janoff, Lucia Moser, Andrew Eichen, and Jasmine Shepard for their contributions. We'd also like to thank Beth Yerksa, Rashad Hamilton, and Taylor McLamb, who all took time out of their busy schedules to speak with us this week. From all of us here at Eye on the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Until next week. Good night.